If you're a school-age kid, you can uh, head on back and be dismissed for, what do you call it here? Sunshine Station or Missio Day, Kids Crossing, and blessings to them as they go. This morning, I want to encourage you, grab your Bible. Um, grab your Bible and open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. How many children do you have here? I thought we were inundated. This is crazy. What a blessing. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We as a church are walking through uh, the whole book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, um, and wrestling through what does it, Paul is speaking to a young pastor who has been left behind in Ephesus, Paul says, you know, get, get things in order there. I, I'm going to go on my missionary journeys, and I'm going to leave you behind in Ephesus for the purpose of getting the church in order. And if you read through the, the whole thing of 1 Timothy, you see Paul constantly coming back to the gospel. Look at Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus Christ. Here's how we order ourselves. This is why we do things. Pa- Timothy, let me teach you again. You're a young man. You're probably in between your mid-20s to 40. Some of you are going, that's a young man? Yeah, that's, I'd lo- that's where I put myself. It's somewhere in there, the young man. And Timothy is taking these words. He's a timid young man. And Paul is this apostolic driver. And he's saying, listen, I've got some words for you. And so I think this is about week 12 for Missio Day in, in this section. And I want you to follow along with me. And we're going to start at verse 6 and go through verse 10. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because We have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you ever watch um, that, that wicked channel on cable where at the bottom right hand corner, if you buy this, In the next 30 minutes, you will get such and such a prize, and you look at this channel, Home Shopping Network, you know what I'm talking about? You ever see that? If you don't, praise be to God. But it's it's one of these shows where somebody comes on, and they got this great big presentation of, oh, if you don't get this thing, your life will be incomplete. I fell as a sucker to one of those. It wasn't Home Shopping Network. It was the ab roller. I'm not saying why. I wasn't buying it for somebody else for Christmas. I was buying it for me. But as I'm looking at it, I'm looking at these guys going, so all they have to do is for five minutes a day, do this? 
sign me up. I bought it. I think I started seeing the chiropractor a couple weeks later. And there was not an inch of flab gone. But I had so bought into this idea, if I just get this and do this just for five minutes a day, I would be this amazing machine of love. Uh, You know, my wife would look at me and go, you look like that 18-year-old I remember back in college, buff and cut. But it doesn't work. These quick fix things, and for some reason, even in our Christian faith, we kind of get sucked into these these Christian spiritual hucksters who say, just do this. Just do this, and your spiritual life will be okay. You see that in the health wealth gospel? You believe this, you know, you start praying these kind of prayers, and you know what's going to happen? God will bless you financially, he'll bless you this way, he'll bless you this way, and it doesn't really work, does it? You sign up for this conference. You take this Bible study. You do these things. And we're looking for quick fixes. And for some reason, they just don't work. They just don't, they don't provide that long-lasting, oh, deep satisfaction in Christ. Because I think we're looking for an easy, quick way where we can only be disciplining ourselves for a little bit. And we're shopping for an effortless way to, to get what the Bible clearly states only comes through hard work and struggle. There's no way to godliness apart from discipline. There's no way to godliness apart from discipline. And it's often invariably you're going to see and maybe this is you this morning you're going to feel defeated and hopeless because you're undisciplined and I want you to hear me this morning mark this well that you will not succeed spiritually in growing and in depth and richness if you do not become a disciplined person. Spirituality, deep richness with Christ, does not just happen. For Randy, it's not going to be, man, I I accepted Jesus Christ, and it's a beautiful thing. Now I just sit back. Because what we really have then is really fat, flabby Christians, spiritual Christians, who can't move, who can't do anything. Our spiritual walk requires discipline, toil, and striving. So what is the key this morning? What is the key for becoming disciplined? The key is our motivation. That is ultimately our key. And what should motivate us us for for, uh, discipline, for godliness? Ultimately, it is because eternal issues are at stake. Eternal issues are at stake. We must discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We must discipline ourselves because eternal things are at stake. We've we've got to remember 
that we're not in this game of Christian tiddlywinks. We're not, it's not just kind of, you know, play these little child board games, you know, shoots and ladders. That's not what the Christian life is really about. It is a, a work that we have got to do. And Paul says there are three eternal issues. There are three eternal issues which should motivate us to discipline ourselves for godliness. And the first motivation for discipline is this. The fact of eternity itself. The fact of eternity itself. If you look at verse chapter or verse 8, it says, um, Rather train yourselves for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of a value in every way, as it holds the promise for the present life and also the life to come. Here in the ESV and the NIV, it doesn't adequately communicate Paul's thought. He's not just saying, oh, don't go work out, don't take care of this. He's not saying that that's not important. Rather, he's making a comparison between our bodily exercise and our spiritual exercise. It's fine to discipline your body, your physical body, and it's going to help you for a few years. But it's far better, far more fruitful to discipline yourselves spiritually because it will put you in a good place not only for this life and the trials to come here, but also for the life to come. And we have got to make much, we have got to make much of training ourselves, training ourselves hard for godliness. How many of you have ever heard of George Whitfield? Only a few of you? George Whitfield was a great evangelist from way back in the day. And he once told a story of, of seeing two criminals on the way to the gallows. Now, imagine, on your way to the gallows, you're riding in a cart on your way to being strung up. And he watched these two criminals on the cart arguing. Do you know what they were arguing about? What side of the cart to ride on. What side of the cart to ride on. These men were condemned to die that very day, but their focus was on who gets the best seat on the cart. But isn't that exactly the same thing? Focusing on this life now instead of on eternity? We see people just possessed in this beauty-saturated culture or this figure kind of culture. We're, we're health nuts. Well, some of you are. Are health nuts. We eat all the right foods. We take all the right vitamins, all the right minerals. They work out and they get in shape. But in fact, they are going to die. We are all going to die at some point in our life. We have got to work hard for eternity, disciplining ourselves. We need to get over our temporal mentality that just live life now and get a an eternal perspective. The great Puritan uh, preacher, Richard Baxter, if you've never heard of him, phenomenal man. He said this, I preach as though I may never 
preach again. As a dying man to dying men. Do you hear that, that tone? Today, I have got to work hard at my salvation. I've got to work hard at working out these things in my life. I've got to work hard in sharing the gospel to whomever I come in contact with because eternal things are at stake. I preach as a dying man to dying men. And this morning, is there any urgency? Is there any urgency in in presenting yourself before the living God who you're going to spend eternity with, just any urgency in saying, I want to be like Christ. I want to be like this Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand who this Jesus Christ is too. And I, there's just a sense of urgency because someday death is going to come and knock it. The second motivation, the second motivation for discipline is the fact of the living God. The fact that it's for a living God, not just God. The living God, the one and only true God. We have set our hope on the living God, Paul says. That is, God is real. He's not just a projection of our mind. He's not just a good idea. He's not just a good philosophy, a thing, a kind of moral standards it is the living God he created the universe and all that is in it and because he is the living God we can live it in each day in communion with him the living God desires a living relationship with his people with you with me there are things in my life that stand in the way of having a more rich, beautiful, powerful relationship with the living God. And the same is true for you. Pride, conceit, lust, division, anger. If you don't think that you have any of those issues, please see me afterwards. God desires a living relationship because he's a living God and he wants to be in full communion with his people. And if that's not true, that he's not a living God, then we're wasting our time. If there's no eternity with a living God, then eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you will die. But if it's true that God is living and we are to have our hope fixed on him, the living God, then this should motivate our discipline for godliness. We want to be the Romans 12 kind of follower. The author says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual worship. The living God desires a what? A living... Come on. The living God desires a living sacrifice where you're constantly saying, living God, here's my life again. I'm going to put to death this issue of this area of flesh in my life. I'm going to put to death this because I want, to, I want to present my body again as a living sacrifice to you, holy and acceptable to you. Oh, 
Jesus, again this morning, uh, holy and acceptable. Oh, in this moment, holy and acceptable. This is, my, this is my spiritual worship. It's not what you do on Sunday. It's your life. The living God wants living sacrifices. The picture of the altar constantly being brought forward again and again. And God going, pleasing, pleasing to me. Communion. Another area, another motivation for discipline is the fact of salvation. Salvation should motivate us to disciplining ourselves for godliness. Verse 10 says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Salvation is at stake. But what does Paul mean here when he says, God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe? We know if we look through the the whole course of Scripture that God does not save all people. God does not save all people. But why does Paul say this? Because he clearly has taught that Jesus Christ is returning to take his people to be with him. But also, Matthew 26, he says that there will be a time of judgment. There will be a time of judgment for those who have clearly not obeyed the gospel. So, what is he saying? Well, there's two kind of main interpretations. Calvin and others suggest that Paul is is using this word Savior in a general sense with regards to the world. And that God gives protection and provision even to the wicked. But in a special sense, he is the Savior of the believers. Since he not only gives them temporal blessings, but eternal deliverance. I love Calvin. But I think he's missing something. The problem with this view is that it forces an unusual use of the word Savior. And it doesn't fit the context. A better view, if I dare go against Calvin in a Reformed church, is that Paul is countering false teachers in this church who have said that salvation is exclusive for those in an inner circle who have knowledge. He was, he was battling the Gnostics of this time. And Paul is saying, no, God wants to save all types of people in every race, from every walk of life. And he has provided salvation for all, but it is only applied to those who believe in Jesus Christ. The point is, apart from Christ, apart from Jesus, people are alienated from God. Eternally alienated and on their way to eternal judgment. But God has provided sufficient salvation for all who believe. And since we're, proclaimed to call, pro, since we're called to proclaim the good news, the fact of God's salvation should motivate us to discipline ourselves. Receiving a beautiful gift. The gift of all gifts, the gift of salvation, where we're no longer considered objects of wrath, but now sons and daughters. 
That very gift should motivate us. That gift of salvation should motivate us to disciplining ourselves, to become more godly, to become more holy, to become more like Jesus Christ. We want to emulate, to to become like the one who has saved us. So these eternal issues are at stake. Now comes the work. How do we do this? What what is discipline and what what is it not? And then at the end, I'm going to show you how to implement it. I'm not usually a, here's your takeaways, but Mr. O'Day, you got lucky this morning. What discipline is and is not? Discipline is an ongoing process. The verb is, if you're geeky like me, it is in the present imperative, and it is pointing to a process. It's not a one and done. It's an ongoing process. It's a daily activity. Discipline is ongoing. This means that you can never say, I've I've arrived. I'm done. I've done my duty. I've accepted Christ, and thank you very much for that free gift. It is an ongoing. And it's like staying physically fit. You can work out 25 years nonstop every day, but the second that you stop, what happens? Mm-hmm. Rolls come creeping in with a vengeance. We have to keep on going at it. It is a lifetime process. Secondly, discipline involves hard work. Okay? Your spiritual life, your, your process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus Christ, is It's a long road of hard work. Everything about it, you just go, why can't this just come easy to me? Because there is a spiritual battle that's going on, right? And Satan's going, "Uh, I'm going to put everything in the way. You're right, it should be easy. Yeah, maybe you're doing something wrong. And he's telling you these lies. Your Christian walk should just, it should just come. But it is hard, hard work. Here he says, we toil and we strive. Striving is, is a word that is used for wrestlers in an athletic com- contest. Giving every ounce of strength to defeat their opponent. It's hard work. Discipline is something in which God and you must together be involved. If you look at the fruits of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control. That is, when, when the Spirit of God controls you, He gives you the ability to control yourself. Thus, God does it, and yet Paul tells Timothy, discipline yourself. Strive and work. It boils down to the question of, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to do the hard work of becoming godly, becoming holy, to be more conformed into the image of Christ? Are you willing to do that hard work? One of the things that stands in the way, next piece is, discipline means discarding hindrances. 
things that, that kind of stand in the way. Paul tells Timothy to have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Some translate it as old wives' tales. It, it refers to stories and, and a grandma might pass on to her grandchildren. That's kind of silly and goofy. And we see here in, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 4 that Paul is ridiculing these endless myths and genealogies of the false teachers. The Greek word for discipline here is gymnazo. Anybody hear a word they might recognize in there? Gymnasium. Gymnazo. Gymnasium. And it, gymnazo comes from the word naked. How'd you like to go to Cardinal Fitness? To the gymnazo. Naked. Brings a whole new level of intimacy. But what the, those Greek people would do when they went to the gymnazo is they would strip down, they would take anything off that would hinder them from competing and from winning the, receiving that prize. Anything that gets in the way. If there was an article of clothing that might get caught up or that the opponent could use, what did they do? They stripped it off. Talk about being intimate before God, before the eyes of God, but also recognizing that the devil will do whatever he can to take you down. I will remove every hindrance towards me becoming godly. I'll do whatever it takes to take these things off. Discipline also means keeping your eyes on the goal. Fixing your eyes. If it is Christ who has saved us, not the church, our eyes are fixed on him. In our discipline, it's fixing on, on Jesus Christ and his work, his revealed word. Just saying, oh, Lord, I want to keep my eyes fixed on the goal, the end. Discipline means that you have got to manage your time in line with your goals. Annie Dillard said this, the great theologian Annie Dillard, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And how we spend our minutes and how we spend our hours is how we spend our days. The question is not of having a schedule. You have a schedule. We all have a schedule. And the beautiful thing is that we all have the same amount of minutes. Every one of us. The question is, what matters? What ultimately matters? And lastly, discipline is not opposed to the grace of God. Many people, when they hear discipline, they, they start thinking, uh, that sounds awfully legalistic, like i got to sign up for this, and i got to give up all my Tuesdays, and I gotta, if I don't do that, I'm... Discipline isn't opposed to the grace of God. Discipline can become legalistic if your motive is wrong. But hear this. Grace does not mean 
sloppy living at all. So how do we implement it? By being constantly trained and nourished in the words of faith. Verse 6. It says, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine. It basically means that we need to be, this word trained can also be translated nourished. Constantly trained or nourished by, by the words of faith and of good doctrine. Our responsibility, all of us, and Paul was saying this to Timothy, the pastor. Timothy, make sure that you are trained in the words of, faith, of, of the faith and of good doctrine. Do you got that? But this also applies to us. We have got to be nourished and trained up in, in the word of God and good doctrine. We've, we've got to be constantly being fed. It's almost like having an IV where it's constantly pumping through our veins, going in and feeding our souls, feeding our minds, transforming the way that we view the world and each other. Constantly. And here's where I'm going to push on some of our men. And this is an oversimplification, but most men that I know abhor reading. If you're one of those men, just be honest. Thank you. Thank you. And the rest of you, I know that you're not being honest, but <laughs> most, most men, it's like, if I'd say, hey, read this book, they'd go, oh, why don't you just put me under the hood, you know? Give me my death sentence, because I, I don't want to read. But here's the thing about being constantly trained or nourished. God saw fit to record his truth in written form. He gave it to us in written form. Almost everybody can learn how to read. Some of us read quickly, some of us read slowly. But God says, listen, the word of God, read it, devour it, enjoy it, savor it, meditate on it, be in it all the time. Be constantly nourished in it. Read and allow it to transform your mind. Renew your mind. Change your mind. Lead you towards more godliness. God's word has direct relevance to me. Next, we are called to be obedient to the truths of God's word. It's not just good enough to read it like a great novel, but we're also called to obey it. We're called to obey God's word. Verse 6 ends with, and you have followed. We aren't supposed to just learn it for the purpose of filling our heads. It is to change our lives. It is to change our lives. So we should always be coming to God's word with prayer and just saying, Lord, show me today what this, what this means. What, what did you intend this to mean for them? What, did it, what does it mean for me today? What does this mean for our church? What does this mean for how I interact with employees and my employer? How, what does this mean to me to you, God, for me. And Lord, may I be obedient in applying it now. 
obedient. God's word confronts selfishness. And so just remember, the goal of the Christian life is not happiness and fulfillment and just the, what seems nice and right. It's not your best life now. The goal of the Christian life is godliness and becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus. So in conclusion, Reformed pastor Richard Baxter says this, and this is my encouragement to you. Oh, therefore, brethren, lose no time. Study and pray and confer and practice. Hear that? Study and pray and confer and practice. For in these four ways, your abilities must be increased. Take heed of yourselves, lest you are weak through your own negligence, and lest you mar the work of God by your weakness. Study, pray, confer. Let's talk about this. And then practice it. So that the rock that we stand on receives all the glory, all the praise. So the church of the living God, the household of faith, the pillar and buttress of truth is pointed to. And all the people of this world says, that is a beautiful body. The body of Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what seems like practical sections of your your word where we're called to be disciplined, to strive and toil towards godliness to be living sacrifices before a holy God. But God, honestly, this morning, if we are all honest with ourselves, we recognize that we are so, we're so far from that, all of us. Just even this this week, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we see how some of us have lusted for power and control. We've lusted for this or that. We've been angry. We have shown a lack of mercy and grace after receiving your mercy and grace. God, we, we are in so need of the gospel again this morning to be reminded of your promises that you are faithful and true that you'll forgive our sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us because we are seen through the lens of Jesus Christ because the blood of Christ is on us. So Lord, we come to you 
humbly confessing our sins. Offering ourselves again as a a living sacrifice. We pray this in the name of Jesus.